Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we're figuring out investing. That's how we're doing it here, is we're figuring out investing. Yeah. Since there's only really one definition of investing, frankly, and that is you buy something that you understand, which is fundamental, to knowing what it's worth, and you pay less than it's worth. That's investing. And ideally, you're looking at something that will um, be an investment you can hold forever. That would, that would be the ideal. Uh, perfect, perfect investing would be finding something <clears throat> that is such a fantastic business that it produces um, a tremendous return on capital, all the, the money you've got in it, your return on equity, return on invested capital re- of 20%, 30% a year or more every year, and it just stays up there and it just keeps going. And there are a few <laughs> companies that have done that, a few. And a that's few. all we need is a few. Yeah. But mostly investing for most of us amounts to not being able to pick something that perfect, since there's very few of those and who knows which ones they are. It consists of be sure you're buying something with a big margin of safety that you understand. And then very likely what will happen if you're right is that the economy or the market or the industry or that company's problems will fade and the, the stock market, which tends to be rational much of the time, will reappreciate the value of that business and put its price back up where it should be, in which case, if you've gotten a big margin of safety, you've just doubled your money. And you've done that in a year or two years or three years, something like that. That's, that's what we try to target. If that's only it were we all so easy and so simple, what else would we have to talk about for the rest of the semester? As Charlie says, it is simple. <laughs> you just, you started you out going, in the word invest. Easy. You're right. I did. I did. That, that was not fair. <laughs> you started out with, so we're easy. just understanding investing. It's so simple. It is so simple. Yeah, it is simple. <laughs> By God, it is simple. You know, it is I mean, simple. So is the idea that, you know, if you want to make a lot of money, buy low, sell high. That's simple. Well, not you know. Easy. Yeah. Not so easy. we've got... By the mm-hmm. way, why eh? we focus on rule number one, which we which haven't is? spoken about for a little while. Well, there's two rules of investing, according to Warren Buffett. Rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Yeah. So effectively, and this is what a lot of people fail to really understand on a deep level, is that really all you're doing is trying to prevent losing money when you're investing. That's your main, I would almost say your entire focus. You so shouldn't, let's, go ahead. let's talk about that today okay. in a very real way. Okay. Um, because I think we, you know, we say that a lot, but um, thinking about that in all sorts of permutations is important. So we have a great question today from Oliver, who's a listener, and I'm just going to play it. Sound good? All right. All right. We like your questions, you guys. Send them in to, where should they send them? 
uh, go to investedpodcast.com, which will forward you to my dad's website, which is Rule One Investing. And there on the podcast page, there's a spot where you can submit your audio question. So, yeah, um, yeah we, we really enjoy getting them because it, I mean, frankly, like I have a lot of the same questions as you guys, and it's really nice to hear it. And don't, don't speak too longly. <laughs> well, this one's a little long, so okay. chill yourself there while you All listen. Right, here we go. Hi, Daniel and Phil. This is Oliver from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, first of all, I just want to say I'm a longtime fan. I bought the book Invested back in 2018, and it has benefited me uh, tre- tremendously. It's sort of becoming the key to the financial door for me that I was looking for. Uh, through your book and your podcast, you know, I learned about Buffett and then I've always let her print out um, in binders sorted by years. I also found out about Ray Dalio. I got his book, Principal, and then that not only changed my views on, on finance, but also my views in life and work. And I find a lot of these principles that you mentioned in your book and podcast is also applicable to, to my life outside of finance. So I just want to say a big thank you. It is an understatement to say that your book and podcast has changed my life for the better. So my question to you guys is that with... 2021 was was in such a high P ratio and everything in the market is so overvalued and the Schiller index and Buffett index so high, it's, it's really hard for me to buy anything in the market with with a margin of safety. And then with Ray Dalio recently saying, don't cash, cash is trash, and don't own bond, um, you know, with the, with the inflation on the horizon, I'm not sure what to do with my capital. I'm a small investor. I, don't, I, I can't buy gold. I, I, I'm... But I'm, I'm worried that all my cash is going to be eaten away by inflation. But I don't want them to just sit in my saving account in my bank. So I was wondering if I can pick your brain, Phil and Daniel, um, what are some invest, investing moves I can do in 2021 with such a turbulent market as we see last week with you know, GameStop and all the, all the market craziness. So uh, I want to see what you guys take on this uh, for small investors like me and many, many of your podcast listeners. What are some investment strategy for 2021? Thank you. Thank you, Oliver. I think that is such a good question. And I I also really loved hearing that the ideas that you're learning around value investing have applied to your life outside of investing, because I think that anybody who starts to learn value investing discovers that and it's so nice to hear i agree i I think that lee lu um who's you should read everything that lee lu ever writes or talks about phenomenal investor who is in the in the rule one movement if you will who basically said that investing is about figuring out what you love what you're passionate about and then magnifying it and it's so true it like the values that you bring to investing um, will get magnified in your investments and they'll get magnified in your life and, and it changes everything. It really makes yeah. you a different person. Yeah. I think in a, in a lot of ways it makes you a better citizen and a better person. It's, um, yeah, what you put your focus on grows and it's transformative. It was for me to put my focus on companies with great integrity, creating great products and services and it changed the way I think about where I put my money in all sorts of contexts. So Oliver's question is cash is trash guys. What the heck basically. (laughs) And hearing Ray Dalio say that inflation is coming. Ray Dalio is not the only one who's been saying that we've all been hearing it. And, um, and just wondering what to do when 
the advice is don't buy bonds. He doesn't think he has enough money to buy gold. And um, and stocks are at all-time highs uh, by most metrics. So considering that interest rates are insanely low, and until that changes, one could probably expect the market to keep going up, what to do? And I think it's a great question. What to do when the market's up, you don't really see any other options, and you're holding cash, right? And cash... Uh, may not hold its value, is what he's asking. Oh, cash will not hold its value. And that has been a problem now for, gosh, uh, 40 years, easy. Um, Easily 40 years. And you could really make a good case that it's been a problem since 1935 when uh, the United States started devaluing the dollar. And it's been an unrelenting devaluation ever since. We've talked about that a little bit already. So I think it's instructive to kind of just look back and see what did Buffett do, you know? We got a little bracelet, WWB. (laughs) (laughs) And we we look and see what happened And it has to be a a bracelet made by Borsheim's Jewelry Store. (laughs) There you go. If they don't make that, they're missing out on a brand new opportunity. You know, I just discovered something. I'm honestly, now this is after me being a total fan of this guy for 40 some years and I'm rereading the letters. Okay. Rereading. Yeah. Every time I reread these letters and and yes, you are too. It's super good. I always get something new out of it. And one of the things I got out of this was that Borsheim's, you know, Mrs. B, Mm -hmm. Mrs. B with the furniture mart. Yeah. Okay. That's her daughter's business. Borsheim's. Oh, I didn't, I haven't made it to that letter. Her son-in-law got into the jewelry business hmm. and and Buffett said you know why not make you can't you can't make too much of a good thing right so they loves the family loves the work ethic and that family I don't know if you've ever been you've been into Borshaw's we were in it together mm-hmm. and um it's it's the most different jewelry store I've ever been in it's phenomenally interesting to me I mean they hmm. pull out maybe it was just because it was during the Berkshire meeting but God I mean they just they got stuff they got a lot of stuff, <laughs> a huge inventory, which yeah. is one of the secrets, by the way, of both the Borsheim and, and the Furniture Mart is that they have gigantic inventory. They tell the truth about it hmm. and they keep their prices lower than anybody in the country. And they they just have one store. That's it. Come to us. We're not coming to you. So yeah, I, I think the reason they had all that stuff out was because it was Berkshire. And probably you know, so. I, I, I wonder. It'd be interesting to go in there actually not during that weekend and we'll see do it if it's really times. different maybe, and if they really we... have sales during the Berkshire weekend or not I'm sure they do integrity well, they the... remember integrity integrity you can't yep. say it's like TJ Maxx always or TJ what's it called in the UK TJ I don't know I forget anyway it's called, it's called something similar in the UK um discount stores they always say like 25% down from, you know, original price, but then they lie about the original price and right. mark it Lovely. <laughs> so coming anyway, back to, coming cash back to is Oliver, trash. Coming back to Oliver, cash is trash. All right. And yet Warren Buffett today we know has over $150 billion in cash. So what this seems contradictory, um, and it is to a certain degree, um, because Buffett also says he never tries to predict the market, has no idea, never will try to predict the market, where it's going and all this, mm-hmm. which I find a little, a little bit disingenuous because he's been extremely good at predicting the market more than once by having a lot of money in cash when the market crumbles. 
and so there's there's a I think I think it's not trying to predict the market so much as just not being able to find great companies yeah. at a great price. I think those and things it, look the same. Yeah, they look the same. But what Oliver's asking is something we can actually find out about. What did Buffett do in other times when he's just been massively in cash? And there's a he 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 writes about it. I thought in the 1987 letter, but it might have been 86 or something. Right in that time period, I haven't had a chance to go back and find it. But he talks about how the the uh, how he basically invests in stocks, bonds, and um, he hasn't talked about bonds in a lot of years. But back then, stocks, bonds, and um, what he called workouts. Or, in other words, or or uh, arbitrage. He basically got around to calling it arbitrage. And his his view was in that time period, he doesn't really care which one it is. They're just going to go to the one that offers the best deal. I want you to remember, 1987 bond returns in some cases were 15 to 17 percent a year in relatively low risk bonds. In fact, the U.S. government 30 year Treasury bond hit 15% per year um, back in the mid-80s. And um, and at that point in time, good investors like Buffett were pretty much neutral on whether they wanted to be in the market or wanted to be in bonds. If they mm. got a good deal on a corporate bond, they bought it. So much, much, much higher return than right now. Is oh, what you're saying. yeah. Like by oh, yeah. 15 times, basically. <laughs> oh, gigantically better returns. Right now, yeah. you can't really go to bonds, and that, and no one would encourage you to do so, because mm -hmm. they're very unlikely to go down further, although that can happen. They can go negative, but um, not a lot further, and um, and very likely that they'll start- but How does that right? inform what he does with cash? Okay, so so remember now, there's there's basically these three places to put money, stocks, bonds, well, cash would be the fourth. So stocks, bonds, or arbitrage. And Buffett described arbitrage as being a perfectly useful place to put the money when you have an edge. And the kind of, the kind of arbitrage he was talking about is when company A decides to buy company B and form a merger. And what happens often is that company A will offer, let's just say the example he was using, it's thirty-seven dollars uh, per share to the um, to the owners of Company B. Okay, um, I think this is kind of how it works. So Company B, so basically Company B is going to sell for thirty-seven dollars a share, being offered by Company A, and Company B at that moment is selling for thirty-three dollars a share. Mm -hmm. Now the reason Company B doesn't immediately go upon the approval of this deal. Uh, by the board to from thirty three dollars to thirty seven is because there is a catch, and the catch is government approval hasn't happened yet. Uh, the government can get involved here, claim monopoly problems and whatever. So there's issues, and the shareholders haven't yet completely uh, gone along with the deal. So there's issues that could derail the deal. So there's a spread. A spread is is the price differential between the price that company A is going to pay and that company B is selling for today. And that spread, if you buy company B and hold it, eventually, if you're right, it'll sell for $37. And that spread right there, that $4 spread, 
is an arbitrage. It's a, basically a time and deal arbitrage. Effectively saying there's no reason this shouldn't go to 37. It's going to go through. Mm-hmm. And you're going to make $4 on it. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot, right, on a $33 investment. But then time comes in as a factor. So, okay, how much time before this all happens? And the answer might be three months. In which case, that little 11% return just became 33% compounded on an annualized basis. See, You see what, what I'm saying? I do. And Buffett would load money into these deals. He would pile money in when he found them. And so um, he would do it when he found them if he had an edge. And the edge would be understanding these two companies well enough and understanding what the approval process looked like well enough that you could make a reasonable estimate of probability of the deal going through. Sure. Okay, now I'm getting into the weeds here, Oliver. I know. But I just want you to understand what another great investor does with his capital when he was much, much smaller. Okay, so now they can't do these deals because there just aren't any of a size that would affect Berkshire at all today. But back then, um, they could find them at, at a size. And by the way, you know, obviously all of us, we can we could do these kinds of things all day long because we're, we're small. If you wanted to get good at this, of course. Now, there's a couple of things you need to know in order to make a judgment about whether this is a good deal. And one of those things is understanding how you would come up with a probability and why probability is important in understanding whether you should do the deal. Can we Probab- just back up for one second before oh, we get into probability of the deal? Rolling. Yeah. Oh, darn. I want to hear all about it. about this for years. I want to okay, hear all about it. But what we're, the question is about cash, and you're talking about uh, moving cash into speculating a bet. on mergers. It's a bet. So, right, yes. speculating. Right. So, are you suggesting Gambling. to give this an umbrella headline? Are mm. you suggesting that one thing you could do with your cash is put it into short-term speculations on which you think you have an edge? Yes. Understood. Okay. Thank you. Headline. (laughs) I guess I could have said that in one sentence like that. (laughs) But yes, that's precisely right. So what that says to me is you have to be willing, before we get into the probability, I want to hear all about it. You have to be willing to put your cash up in a risky deal. Yes, you do. So that's essentially the answer is you stay in cash and you wait it out which right. is risky in, in a different way. Right. Or you try to uh, alleviate the differential by making some shorter term speculations. That's right. You're making short Interesting. Not what I thought you were going to say at all, Mr. Investing is the only way to go. Don't ever talk to me about speculating. Well, you know, when when you're teaching somebody to drive. It's, it's different. You teach them different things when they get better and better, right? (laughs) (laughs) Is one of those things. (laughs) The fundamentals of of driving are not correct. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just that 
this, you know, you have to keep it simple when people are just starting to learn. And, and we've been doing this podcast for five years, and I think it's probably time we can expand a little into this area because it is a fundamental to what we're doing in the markets right now. The markets have become um, over, really overpriced substantially by the standards that we would look at. Um, and obviously, if interest rates are going to stay at 1%, for our lifetimes, you know, for your lifetimes, then the markets are not particularly overvalued right now um, because there's such a massive, uh, 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 just, you can you can pay much more for a risk asset if a non-risk asset is only available at 1% mm-hmm. than you can if a non-risk asset is available at 6%, mm-hmm. right? So, um by the way, imagine if a non-risk asset is available at 15%, what you're going to require the stock market to do. And of course, when that happens, the stock market is toast. It just, people pull their money out because they can't see any way that a stock market could give you a risk return that would justify that. I think, um, frankly, any announcement that interest rates are going up a quarter of a percent is going to cause a bit of a panic. But Well, well I think there. that there has been a movement on the 10-year T-bill of darn near 300% upward. Yeah, but I'm talking about like policy. Right. If policy changed, then you'd have another story. Yeah. But back to this thing. Okay. So now the probability yes. portion. So I'm not going to try to teach you guys how to adjust probability here on a podcast. It just doesn't work. But let me just say that it's pretty straightforward. There are formulas that you use, um, which... Um, we we teach during class about how to discover the probability of a risk asset with a high degree of certainty. And that's the key to what Buffett was doing is to having a high degree of certainty around the probability. So right now we've always wanted a high degree of certainty around the business that we buy. Okay. That is, this business is 100% certain to make money and I'm about 100% certain that it will. Okay. Over a long period of time. <clears throat> Excuse me. But now we're going to have a high degree of certainty. I'm almost 100% certain that I've nailed the probability that this will work out as a 90% probability. That's a whole whole step removed, right? It's a whole nother thing now that we're trying to project what the likelihood of this gamble working out is. So what probability is, is just simply that, the likelihood that this gamble is going to work out well. And what we want is we want gambles that have a probability of 90% or better of working out. Ideally, 95%. The ones that we do uh, on the last, I think, since we really started keeping good records on this stuff about the last eight years, um, we've averaged about a 95% probability of success. Hmm. on these kinds of things. Now, we don't do, <clears throat> excuse, me. <clears throat> excuse me, we don't do a lot of merger, and this is called merger arbitrage, by the way. We don't do a lot of merger arbitrage, have done um, some in the past, and we may be doing more in the future as mergers continue to just skyrocket uh, with these low interest rates. But um, mostly what we do are put type options on companies we want to buy, companies we'd like to own. 
um, similarly to doing merger arbitrage on companies we really understand, um, often companies we want to own, and they're, they're, they're merging together. So that's, that's uh, I think that's about as far as I want to go with that. I'm sure that's going to generate a lot of questions. But the essence of it is, is it can be done with enormous, uh, enormously high probability of success when Buffett, and, and by the way, you don't do too many of these. You do a handful uh, of ones you really understand and you try to make sure you're not wrong. And so um, I think we tend to use about 20% of portfolio to do this kind of stuff in this kind of a market. So we're using substantial amount of cash that we have excess on to, to do this. And, and think about it. If we're using 20% of the portfolio and we're making, let's just say, 25% on it, um, the, 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 only, the only real limitation on doing that with the entire portfolio is it's hard to find these deals. So we, you, you look hard to find enough to do 20% on. So if you do 20% and you're making 25% uh, percent on that 20%, you're effectively making 5% on the entire portfolio. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Right? And that puts a base under the portfolio that adjusts for currency. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you're seeing the point. So yeah, I get a, the point. At a 5% currency deflation rate, currency will be cut in half in 15 years. Uh, it'll buy half of what it buys right now in 15 years. I don't think we're going at that rate at all. Um, but assume we were, this would be keeping up with it. We would be keeping our entire portfolios up with the loss of inflation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like sort of talking does. about it like that and not really <laughs> getting into it is just frustrating. So, <laughs> um, well, I also think that well. it takes, it takes a, a good amount of time to find some of these things sometimes, not always, but well, there I are, agree when it comes to merger arbitrage. Now, of course, yeah. the, problem, the problem with merger arbitrage isn't finding them anymore. <clears throat> it used to be a fairly unsophisticated uh, market. And, you know, these things would be announced on the front page of the paper. No question about it, right? But you have to be reading the paper every day. Mm -hmm. It just, they come and boom, that's an announcement. And there it is. Not even front page. It's like, you know, third page. Um, today, of course, there are websites that track this kind of stuff. And so there's there are people that run entire funds about merger arbitrage. So it's... Yeah, same with stock splits. You can do a whole strategy on stock splits. Whole stock split strategy, although I don't... It is absolutely something that works, but it's crazy. Um, <laughs> another one is spinoffs, which is a, yeah. a fabulous way mm -hmm. to, to to benefit. But um, today, the, the ability to do that is much more difficult than it used to be. And it's really difficult for somebody like Warren Buffett because he's got so much money. And these deals disappear quickly. The, the spread 
often just is gone as soon as yeah, there's exactly. an announcement. Exactly. Um, you know, the stock is. We don't see a lot of deals that blow up. It just doesn't happen that much. It happens right. occasionally, but not that right. much. If it gets to the point where it's publicly announced, they it's a pretty solid deal. Right. And um, and that's why I think we see the stock price just jump up the second it's announced. So. Now, now, yeah. a couple of things, if you, if you were to find out one of these things, what happens in today's market is that the stock price will jump straight up. So let's say the stock is currently selling for 15 and they announce it's going to be bought by a company ABC for 20. It, chances are, will go immediately to $20. Well, it goes to $19 and 93 cents. Right. Right. right? <laughs> um, now, as time goes along though, and here's where the market starts to become less efficient is people don't follow this, you know, religiously. Um, they either jump in and get a piece of that deal or they don't, and then that's it. And But what happens if, if the approval process starts to falter or if one company starts to have issues or if something happens, the deal starts to get shaky, then people who are on, who already own the stock of that company that's going to be bought out at $20 a share those people start to get nervous that they're not going to be able to do this at 20 bucks and they'll start to sell. They can sell. And as they start to sell, that price will start coming down 1990, 1985, 1975. And, and this doesn't even have to be any big deal problems, just that we don't want to wait six months, right? Mm -hmm. to, to make that extra 25 cents. It's like, yeah. oh, whatever, I'll just take it now. Take it and use it somewhere else. Right on. So if you do track these things, often what is happening today, not often, but enough that it's worth looking at, is that the stock will hit that 20 or close to it and then start coming down if there's issues. And then if you look into it and you have an edge, that is you understand the business and what the issues are, and the probability looks really good relative to the rate of return, then you might want to be able, you might be able to do that deal. And we've seen a number of them that have actually worked out extremely well where the stock basically went back down to 15 as if there was not going to be a merger. It was going to completely fall apart. Now think about this for a second. If the stock was at $15 a share and it was reasonably priced at 15, in other words, not, not a on sale price necessarily, but it's absolutely what it's worth. Then you don't have a downside here. Meaning right? if the deal falls through, right. you still bought it at the price that you would be comfortable with. Exactly. And so part of figuring this all out is figuring out what are you going to lose if you lose? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to know the the various elements of this are what's the probability yeah. of success? How yeah. long is it going to take? What do you lose if you lose? What do you win if you win? Yeah. Well, it's like selling a call option on a company you want to own. What's the downside, you know? Going to end up it, with some well, cash? Selling a, a put option, yeah. A put option? I get right. them all mixed up. The one where you're forced to buy it. That's a call right. option, right? It's a put option. That's a put option. Okay. Right. So you sell a put option. Yeah, it gets put to you. Right. Okay. Um, it's like that. Your downside is there isn't one. You either own the company you want to own or you keep the money that you got. Right on. And if you're comfortable well, with the Well, the downside business, is you maybe really did want to buy it or buy those shares and then you don't get to. That is a downside that can happen. Well, yeah, but you get the 20% return or whatever. And yeah. Honest, right? Yeah. So, but not the 20-year yeah. amazing ownership. That's the of downside. A company you and love. that's tough. Yeah. And that's why we do a ratio 
ratio puts sometimes where we'll, in fact, we did one of those on Whole Foods before Amazon bought it, remember? Where we, I we don't remember that. Bought the stock and then sold puts against it in a, in a ratio to the number of shares we owned. So oh. for every share we bought, we sold three put options shares. And we, the premium was enough to drive the price of the shares we owned down below the margin of safety. So when Amazon bought the stock, um, if you'd done that, then you, you already own the stock at a margin of safety price. And if Amazon doesn't buy it and it drops down there to your put price, then you own it at a margin of safety price as well. Hmm. So it's, I was it's definitely really effective. not involved in that, but that sounds oh. interesting. It's pretty slick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a way of creating a margin of safety for yeah. at least a tranche of the portfolio. You know. So overall, I hear you saying you can use your cash to generate some cash, hopefully. Yes. With risk, with risk. With risk. And understand that what you're doing is taking some risk with that cash, but do it prudently and hopefully we can come out with uh, a little bit of a return enough to keep up with what we would have lost maybe due to inflation. Yep. And then Oliver, if you're working with a a relatively small amount of capital. Of course, that's obviously in the eyes of the beholder. But let's say $10,000 or $20,000, um, where you really want to do, you, what you're trying to do is build financial independence. Then I would suggest looking very, very deeply into this possibility of doing um, doing speculation with a brain, right? It's, it's a, there's certain ways you can do this. You can speculate using put options and call options. There's certain ways you can do it using merger arbitrage that will provide a really decent rate of return for the entire portfolio. I mean, there's, if you do this right, you, you, even if you do have a problem and you lose it, let's just say you did, you lost it. You're, you're, pretty let, let's say you're 50 years old i don't know, I have no idea you sound like you're 25 but let's let's say you're 50 and you got ten thousand dollars you're already broke man you're already broke you what is your downside of losing the ten thousand dollars honestly it's not going to change your life dramatically is it i mean you, you i know, feel uncomfortable with this let's leave it there what, I think Oliver should do exactly what Oliver is comfortable with, and we have no idea what his situation is. By the way, is. this is why CNBC put my pilot in the safe and won't let it out again. Well, there you go. Because of this so, kind of thing. Great job continuing to say it. <laughs> <laughs> people need to know that there are times I think in your life where risk that people is need to know to that they need to make their own financial decisions and just because some dude on a podcast says something doesn't mean that you should do it right dad say, do you agree with me i want to say i agree do you agree with me i do and i also want to say that success is not final failure is not fatal it's oh. the courage to continue that counts Sick. Winston churchill i was gonna say somebody <laughs> said that <laughs> All right, we got to go. <laughs> Say it one more time. Take okay. us out. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Indeed. Just, I can just hear Churchill saying that. It's so cool. <laughs> All right, you guys. That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Oliver. Thanks, you guys. We've got some more questions loaded up for next time. So we will talk to you then. See ya. 
Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.